It's Andra Zaharia. I'm Dave Smythe. And this is the Cyber Empathy Podcast. By taking an empathetic approach to technology, we can create space for positive change and healthy relationships to grow. We share stories of kindness, curiosity, and connection that show how we can all shape online privacy and security. Thanks for being here. That was one of the first emails I received. When I was a SOC analyst, I replied to a woman's email and she said, oh, there's there's people there? I, I didn't think any people actually worked in cybersecurity. Sometimes all it takes for change to start is for one person to challenge the status quo. And my guest today is exactly that kind of person. Tracy Z. Malif, aka InfoSec Sherpa, is one of the kindest, most active, and supportive people in the cybersecurity community. Perhaps her background as a librarian and academic corporate and law firm libraries has something to do with that, as you'll hear from the wonderful stories and examples that she shared in this episode. It was fascinating to hear how Tracy changed her career how she changed paths, why she did this, and how she is bringing about transformation through her role as a security researcher and as an active contributor to the information security community. I love the models that she applies and the way that she's been championing empathy for years, basically ever since she started working in this industry. Whether you follow her on Twitter, connect with her on LinkedIn, Hear her speak on podcasts and at conferences or read her articles. Tracy has a lot to teach every one of us. She has a great way of connecting people from the industry with those outside the industry and helping people see each other from behind their screens. And she shares a lot of simple tips that anyone can apply to use empathy in a very practical way and improve their relationships, improve their work, reduce tension, reduce conflict, and at the end of the day, simply make life easier for everyone involved. When you're doing a complex job, like the most of the jobs in cybersecurity, you really need to find a way to connect people. And I don't mean just by making sure that the physical connections are in place and that all the setup is working. We also need a kind of connection that's more difficult to maintain and repair sometimes, but that's more important than any of the technical layers that help us you know, communicate with each other. So here's Tracy sharing her incredible expertise, her stories, and her examples. Tracy, to have this conversation from one side of the world to the other is one of the reasons, first of all, that I love the internet and how it changed my life, our lives in general. And it's just that sort of magical moment that I'm really enjoying. So welcome to the Cyber Empathy Podcast. I'm absolutely thrilled to have you here. Well, thank you so much. It was a, a you know a pleasure to be asked. Obviously, I'm a big, big fan and big promoter of empathy 
in cybersecurity. And yeah, and like I said, I'm of half Eastern European descent. So I am always happy to uh, get in touch with where my ancestors came from. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, or to uh, any Hungarians listening. <laughs> oh, I love that. Thank you for that. I, I know that there are some of them. I do not speak Hungarian, but that is very nice. Thank you. And it's, it's interesting to see all of these things overlap. And this is what cybersecurity surfaces for me, actually, is that there are so many ways in which our lives and our values and our principles and our general life experiences overlap and come together in cybersecurity, in the work that we do, whether it is for our actual jobs or with clients, but also for the many personal projects that many people have in this industry, one way or another. So throughout all of these experiences, are there any, let's say, inflection moments where empathy shaped the choices that you made that took you from a career path as a librarian into switching tracks and, and veering towards cybersecurity? How did that happen? Because I bet that many people have asked you this, but perhaps people listening right now uh, might not know this story. Well, I can definitely share a link to an article that really well plotted out my whole journey. So I'm happy to share that with you. I don't want to bore people who have heard it before. So let me just give a, a tiny little uh, story about the change. And then um, actually empathy was a big part of me kind of finding my identity in information security. I'll get that in a second. So yes, I have a Master of Library and Information Science degree. I've worked as a librarian for over 15 years, I did a large chunk of that time in law firm libraries, but I also worked in academia and corporate libraries. I never did public or school libraries. That's a different kind of librarianship. So I was very much about the research, about the OSINT, you know, things like that, and the customer service. The very short version is I decided in 2015 that I wanted to do something different with my life. I read an article called How to Future-Proof Your Career. And I was also, you know, I was interested in longevity and I wanted to, you know, I felt like I had done everything that I, I set out to do in, in library world and I needed a new world to conquer, basically. But I wanted to pick one that had longevity to it. I didn't want to uproot my whole life just to pick something that I'd have to readjust again in a few years. So I knew that would be tech. Tech would have longevity. So I first tried going to tech meetups, going to coding classes, and I just didn't really like the tech side of it. Like, honestly, I didn't really enjoy talking to the people <laughs> very much. And I just didn't really like anything about it. And it was kind of a disappointment. But until someone said, oh, well, wait, there's this whole other side <laughs> of tech, you know, the back end technology and cybersecurity. And once I was introduced to that, my old joke at this point is they had me at port scanning. I was like, where has this been all my life? Wow, this is really cool. That's when, yeah, I really, I really realized that no, it's the, it's the information security aspect that I would like. So then I just kind of immersed myself in that. Uh, you know, went to again, went to meetups, went to to classes, did just intensive workshops and boot camps and things like that. Eventually, I realized I needed to leave my job because I, I did take the initiative to run a security awareness training in October of 2015 for the law firm where I was working. And the CIO was, you know, grateful, put me in charge of it. And it was really great, except that 
when November came around, the only thing they wanted me to do was to run it again next year. And I thought, no, I think this is, you know, my career change. So February 2016, I quit my job. A couple weeks later, I was on a plane to San Francisco to attend the RSA conference because I created my own business, which I called Sherpa Intelligence. I did freelance research. I used all my transferable skills, you know, all the skills that I had, the research, social media, the people, networking, the communications, the writing, and I became a freelancer. And I did have clients who were cybersecurity who had me do research projects for them. I had other clients that I was a social media manager for. I did all kinds of different things just to immerse myself in the infosec industry. So I did that for a year and a half before I was then hired as a SOC analyst for a company. So that's the rather large (laughs) nutshell version of it. And then where empathy comes in is when I had my SOC analyst job. And you've mentioned something, uh, I think it was caught on the recording, of people not realizing that there's humans behind security. That was one of the first emails I received when I was a SOC analyst. I replied to a woman's email and she said, oh, there's there's people there? I, I didn't think any people actually worked in cybersecurity. And I remember asking some of my, you know, my coworkers, like, do you not regularly talk to the end users? And they said, no, of course not. And that was very different for me because being a librarian, it is all about interfacing with the end users, whomever they be, whether it's the general public, whether it's children in school, or in my case, it was lawyers. That was a huge part of it. And we talked with them and we interacted with them. And I was just really stunned that that wasn't more of a part of tech or information security. And I also realized that when I was a librarian in the law firm, I remember the the lawyers would actually contact the library for technical issues when the help desk was either backed up or honestly, if they were too mean, <laughs> because a lot of times tech people are mean on the help desk because I get you know, And I, I understand why, you know, you're you're dealing with a lot. But I started to pick up on the fact that for some tech questions, people were contacting the library. So that's also why I felt more comfortable having cybersecurity as my quirky hobby, because there were a lot of things I was able to pick up on to help the attorneys. But so I I developed this talk out of my frustration and surprise of how end users are perceived and spoken to or ignored (laughs) in cybersecurity, I came up with this talk called Empathy as a Service to Create a Culture of Security. And I base that upon this library science principle called the reference interview. And it's these seven steps, which I give a whole hour talk about, which I will give, (laughs) give the link to. And I take these seven steps from library science of, it's called the reference interview. And what that means is, is just how to speak to a client or a user to find out what they want, what they need, what are they looking for? You'd be, you know, maybe you'd be surprised to know how many people really do just show up at a library and just stand in front of the library reference desk and just say, I need this. And you have to narrow it down and ask them questions or listen to what they don't say. Over the years, I've been able to refine this this talk, but it's it's really something crucial that you know you need to take each interaction with an end user and apply this reference interview principle because you need to really listen to them. I've given so many examples that happened to me in real life of times when an end user left out an important piece of information 
maybe it was intentional. Maybe it was not intentional. Maybe they didn't even realize that was important information. But sometimes these people might be scared to contact security, thinking they might get fired because they admitted that they clicked on on a phishing link or something like that. And approachability is a big foundation of library science, you know, being approachable to people. Now, I, I laugh that we, in, in library world, we always laughed that there's a thing called librarian face, that people just always, in public, always just seem to approach you and ask you questions because you, quote, look like you know things. I've had that happen to me more times than I can count. And I actually had a woman say that to me once. I was in Colorado one time, first time in the state, never been there before. She just walked right up to me and just said bluntly, you look like you know things. <laughs> I, I said, okay. It's a lovely and then compliment, she though. <laughs> yeah. And then she proceeded to ask me a question. And it was a question about where something was in the town. And I did actually happen to know. And my husband said after she walked away, how did you know that? And I said, well, I did, you know, I did kind of study the map before we got here. So I knew. so there you go. Your yeah, skills there is some truth to it. <laughs> Indeed it is. Yeah, so, so many times in the past few years that I've been in InfoSec, being approachable has really meant the difference between having a safe network and not. A short story I can share about that is one place I worked, the woman from a department in the uh, in a company I was working for was intimidated to contact the security team because, you know, it's not very approachable, <laughs> you know, and it felt very scary. She also thought she was going to be chastised for this. So she approached me and the situation was they were having a guest speaker from a certain app company. And she said, I would like my whole department of 300 people to download this this app and these features and use it while we have the guest speaker because everybody was remote and everything. So I looked into it and saw many questionable privacy and security issues with the app. And I called the woman back and I, I said, you know, I I'm really sorry, but I've evaluated this and it's it's too risky. I'm going to have to ask you to not, you know, not permit that. That could really be a big problem for us. And she was really grateful, you know, because I didn't chastise her. I wasn't mean. I just, you know, I said, you know, I hear you. I said, I looked into every way to make this work and it's really just not going to work. But just fast forward, though, I remember I thought I was very proud of, of this and when I shared with superiors what happened, they were actually mad. They were mad that this woman didn't go through the proper channels. And when I tried to explain to them, I'm like, but your proper channels are intimidating. And wouldn't it have been worse if she had just gone and told them all to do that? <laughs> and one of my concerns was is that people were going to download and activate this and then forget about it and then forget that they had it. So I was really kind of hurt and confused and perplexed as to why being approachable all of a sudden was a, a liability, you know, in cybersecurity. So that's one of the, the downfalls that I also, or pitfalls, I should say, that I also want to work on is not let that be something that is, is looked down on. Too many people I've come across in tech or, or even cybersecurity, when I, you know, explain these talks about, you know, empathy and things, I'll get eye rolls or I'll get, you know, people who don't agree with me. 
but I, I've lived it. I've experienced it. Exactly. And this is something that I wanted to ask you about because you, you've given us such a wonderfully clear kind of overview over your trajectory, which is, again, incredible to, to achieve everything that you've achieved and, and build this and be a part of the community and contribute so meaningfully in I'm going to say just six years because it feels like it's not that much, but yeah. I know that there's a lot of life packed into those six years. That's a good way to say it. Yeah, there really, ha yeah, because it was 20, well, 2015 is when I knew that I needed to leave. But yeah, 2016 is when everything got started. And then my first job was 2017. So yeah, it's, it, and you're right. Yes, a lot of life and a lot of cybersecurity has been packed in this. <laughs> exactly. And I've been, been able to witness some of that. And I can't, Definitely kind of vouch and kind of I've felt the experience of having approachable people in the community that I can follow, talk to, learn from, learn from the, the conversations that they have in public, which is one of the most meaningful resources and meaningful ways to educate yourself in this space, particularly, especially if you come from a non-technical background and still have a way to contribute and still find your place and find your role in this industry. So specifically around talking about empathy and things that seem soft and like something that's not even nice to have. I want to, I want to say that these things are sometimes, sometimes some people perceive them as superficial or unnecessary, or we have much bigger issues to deal with. This is BS. Like, no, I don't have time for this. What are misconceptions about practicing empathy have you seen in, in, around people? And do you have any examples of, let's say, moments or stories, experiences that put those people in a position to experience empathy themselves and suddenly, you know, have that aha moment where they change positions on, on this particular topic? Oh, wow. That's a lot of questions in there. <laughs> yes. I'll try to. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'll, I'll try to break that down. Well, let me start by saying that there's a, a, a quote or at least a portion of a quote that I try to often use in my, in my talks, which is don't mistake my kindness for weakness. I think a lot of people are reluctant to exhibit empathy or practice empathy because they think it makes them look weak. No, <laughs> that's not the case. And that's why I love, I love the quote. I think the, the long, I pulled it up here. The longer version is don't mistake my kindness for weakness. I'm kind to everyone. But when someone is unkind to me, weak is not what you're going to remember about me. I like that, that phrase. And yeah, I think, I think a lot of people can confuse and they also confuse sympathy with empathy. I don't want you to feel sorry for people. I've never given the same empathy as a service talk twice. I always try to make it different. And when I first was giving this talk, I would spend a lot of time explaining the difference between sympathy and empathy. I think now I just kind of have one slide and kind of gloss over it. But that, that's what people, I think, don't understand. Sympathy is, yes, feeling sorry for someone. But empathy is like, what's it like to be in their shoes? The way to get through to people is, well, let's turn it around and, and put the mirror on you. I know my audience, so sometimes I use things like, when you first played Dungeons and Dragons, did you have a mean dungeon master? Did you not understand the spells or how the die worked? Was somebody mean to you or was somebody understanding and empathetic and had remembered their first time and was nice to you? And I really feel like that got through to some folks because a lot of people get very tunnel vision of, you know, well, I can't show any, you know, weakness when it comes to defending, you know, security policies and things like that. 
you need that that openness to be able to understand what people are struggling with. So I do have a couple examples I can I can give you. One example is every single day, this woman at this company I worked at reported the all-company newsletter as spam every single day. After I picked up on the pattern of seeing it every day, I asked the, the guys, and they were all guys in the, <laughs> in the sock, about this. And they just said, and like, oh, that, you know, they had some unkind words for this this person like, oh yeah, she does that all the time and every single day. And, and I said, well, did anybody ask her about it? And they're just like, of course, no, no, nobody <laughs> talked to her about it. So I reached out to her and just asked, I said, well, you know, hi, I see you report this every day. It's not a malicious email. Can you tell me why you report it? And her response was, I thought that's what I was supposed to do. So I remember just kind of taking a breath and thought, oh, there's a lot to unpack here. (laughs) So I was thinking about it later, and it sounds like maybe one time they used the company newsletter as a phishing simulation, maybe, or she got her instruction confused. You know, maybe the the training they, they did wasn't successful. And wasn't useful. So this woman had been doing this like forever, you know, and nobody stopped to ask her. So once I explained to her that it was, you know, fine and gave her just a quick little rundown and then it went away. And I think somebody noticed that they stopped coming in at those emails. And I, and I said, yeah, you want to know why? Because I actually talked to her. Nobody wanted a part of that, but I was like, but that's also wasting her time too, because the the sock was mad that it was a waste of our time. So rather than do anything about it, they just called her a stupid user and just complained all the time. Whereas I, you know, it, it just, you know, eh, just talk to her. Like, you know, you're not in trouble. Everything's fine. Just want to ask you why we see this email from you all the time. <laughs> and on that note, I think that there's an interesting, perhaps, example or or something, just a key point to consider here for technical people who are struggling to understand how they might be able to actually use empathy in their careers. I feel that the example you just gave might, maybe it applies to them in talking to management and getting resources in so many ways and so many obstacles and and challenges that they have in just boosting their positive impact in companies. Because I know that a lot of people, and not just technical ones, but a lot of people in cybersecurity, they genuinely want to do good. They want to do good with their work, but coming from this very offensive, aggressive mindset and cybersecurity it comes from a military background. So there's a lot of ethos around that. That's kind of natural. That's the, let's say, the inheritance that it, it got. Yeah, in in some ways, yeah. I mean, I think I think classically that's a lot of the mindset and I mean a lot of people had that, you know, hacker mindset and just there's the movies and the stereotypes and things like that. Honestly, I think it's a lot more broad now, but even in the few years that I've been around, I've definitely noticed a change. Cuz also keep in mind, I think a not so much anymore, but definitely at first, I think it was a lot of tech folks who then were either assigned <laughs> in a security job or just kind of drifted and morphed into a security job. So you're coming from this base of an IT culture, which you know also has those mean stereotypes. It does because it creates closeness and it creates the feeling that you're part of a community of the, let's say, the end crowd, a closed circle that knows some things that the others don't, which is fine to have. But at this point, 
where security, cybersecurity is such an important global factor in global stability, I don't think we can afford to do that anymore. And having the ability to spread this knowledge and open up communication throughout society, whatever that means at any level, I think that that is essential. And I think that some people could really benefit from developing their ability to practice empathy because they would be able to progress through their careers and just have more visibility, have, let's say, a more openness from other stakeholders in their companies and in the community to do more good and do more with the skills that they have, but they still nurture these stereotypes and limiting beliefs that affect them as well. Because I think that once we learn this in a professional context, we can carry it over to our personal lives as well. It's a, it's a valuable lesson in behaving as a human in society in general, not just in cybersecurity. Yeah. And I actually, I have another uh, example of, of empathy that I think might hit home for some of your more tech-minded listeners. Uh, again, one time at a company I worked for, the security team was asked to meet with the manager of the te- somebody in like engineering. It was on the tech side. Because as you know, in many organizations, tech and security are not in the same department. He wanted us to review this software because they wanted to to use it for their department. But the thing was, they only wanted to use the open source version, which we looked through and saw, you know, too many vulnerabilities and things like that. And so we're having this discussion and it, it did feel like it was getting a little a little contentious. And finally, at some point, the manager from the engineering tech side said, why do I feel like I'm being punished because I asked the security team to review this software? And that was like a gut punch to me. I was like, he is absolutely right. Like we, like, why are we, we're, we're treating like gatekeepers. We weren't showing empathy. So I just kind of took a deep and deep breath and I was new. So I also wasn't really speaking much in the meeting. So I just kind of took a breath and was, and was just like, you know, kind of signaling to everyone else. I'm like, let, let, let me try something here. Basically, long story short, I was like, well, what's, what's prohibiting you from using the more secure version? And he said money because the, the, you know, the more secure version was the pay version and you need money. So immediately I said, who do we need to talk to, to approve the expense of the safer version of the software, and he gave me the the information, and I turned to you know my team, you know our team, and said, "Okay, let's write up a report <laughs> and tell them that you know they need to get this approved for the paid version, you know, to be more secure because of X, Y, and Z could happen that would be really bad and wind up costing the company a lot more." I'm really proud of myself about that because. If I hadn't spoken up, I feel like that just would have ended with the department just doing what they wanted, getting the insecure software, and then maybe six, nine, 12 months later, dealing with some sort of issue. Plus the relationship decaying. Exactly. So that's what you also need to ask. And that's what I say all the time is listen for what people aren't saying. And I know sometimes people look at me weird (laughs) about that, but you know, I put it this way, you know how something should go inside your head. You know how a a remediation checklist goes, you know how an incident response checklist goes. You understand how these conversations go. Well, is there something that's not being ticked off of a box? And that's when I thought to ask the question of, well, 
Why are you not looking at <laughs> the, the other version? Because nobody else was asking that. There's the, the golden question of, okay, why not? Well, because we can't afford it. Okay, so in my mind, that's not a good enough of a reason to use something insecure. We weren't talking hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, we're talking a couple thousand. Like, okay, like that's not a big deal. So I believe in the end, after like writing up a report and submitting, I think they did eventually get the more safe paid version. But that's some a story that I like to share with more technical minded folks, especially in cybersecurity. Like, don't have that that attitude that you're the gatekeeper because you know, it's, you're not going to get anything done. People are then just going to go off and do what they want to do. And it's likely going to bypass security. So you might as well be approachable, be empathetic. And even if it turns out that you can't help them, then figure out a way to help them still be secure with the insecure product. Cause say it was a, say it was a $50 million product, just hypothetically. And then that was cost prohibitive. Well, okay, well then work with that department <laughs> on how to make them them safe. There's ways to do things. Just don't say no. Because I think that's what people keep forgetting is people are going to find a way to do stuff. Shadow IT, they're going to go around you. So you know what? Like lead, follow, or get out of the way. And if you just get out of the way and let them do what they want, they're going to cause, you know, a problem. So I just want people to kind of get that through their head is that, you know, you catch, there's an expression, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. I I want people to be more like honey and less like vinegar. (laughs) Oh, yes. Here's to that. That's a very powerful story, especially because I think it also highlights a lot the value of building relationships and working on the disconnect. Since since people's jobs in cybersecurity is protecting connection and protecting data, but protecting these, you know, we, we focus on the technical side or we talk a lot about the technical side, which is what most people see outside the industry as well. But the connection that we should also take care of is the connection between people. And I feel that those trust relationships are fundamental to making technology work, companies work, everything, absolutely everything. And if that trust connection and that open channel of communication is there, even the hardest problems in cybersecurity has a lot of them to solve and they'll never end and they're complex and they just branch out into everything <laughs> or almost everything. I think that there's a much higher chance to, to see that succeed. And one of the beautiful things that I see in cybersecurity, especially in the corners of it where I've had the pleasure to end up in, is that I see a lot of that connection. I see a lot of generosity of people putting so much energy into initiatives, into programs for others to use freely and build themselves, build their characters, their know-how, their abilities, and, and bring that into the industry because we need everyone to contribute, not just technical people. It goes so much beyond that. So I was wondering if you have examples or suggestions of initiatives that people might be able to join to see empathy in action, to see things that work, you know, besides your uh, presentation and the awesome example that you give on, on Twitter, especially just, you know, following your conversations along. So are there any specific initiatives that you particularly appreciate and have seen make a difference? Well, whenever any company has their own cybersecurity awareness month events on site, you know, maybe they do something fun, like have a cake or have games or something like that, any sort of outreach is is good. I like that. Uh, another thing that I want to stress to people is even if you don't work in cybersecurity, you can still be an advocate 
for cybersecurity in whatever job you have. Another way to look at that is cultivating allies for cybersecurity within your company. You know, a real example is I had someone who was a software engineer talk to me and said, I'm feeling all this pressure to get a job in cybersecurity, but I really like being a software engineer. I said, you you can do whatever you want to do. And when I ex- explained the concept of being a security advocate, I said, well, you know what you can do and that would be really helpful is make sure that you have clean code. <laughs> and And I talked about being a security advocate and that never even occurred to them. And they were like, oh, I can do that. Like, yeah, I like security and I like following it all. I just don't want to do it as my job. And I'm like, that's fine. I'm like, but you can be an advocate for it. You can be a representative, you know, a deputy, you know, however you want. The one place I worked actually had little uh, like cowboy old West deputy badges and they would give them, it was kind of, it was the same material of a challenge coin. So it was like a heavy metal deputy star that we would give to people who kind of went above and beyond they didn't work in the in the uh, the security department, but they went above and beyond doing security things. The bare minimum thing you can do in your organization is just make sure that people know how to contact security. I think a lot of times there's, you know, well, there's no phone number. You can't always find the individual person and an individual may not want to deal with the email. I mean, they should, but and then maybe there's not a group or, or maybe the only like group mailbox is the phishing mailbox. So, you know, it's really not going to necessarily be seen or seen quickly there. So I, I've seen that way too many times that end users are just saying, I, I just don't even know how to contact someone. And I mean, that's just the bare minimum of approachability is <laughs> just do they know how to contact you? Minimize friction and just recognize people's emotional labor. There's a lot of that that goes into cybersecurity, both from people who are in the industry, but also from people who aren't there, but whose values align with this industry, who feel kind of a natural connection because they're probably more cautious people who need a bit more predictability into their lives or they have a stronger radar for risk. Whatever it is, I think that those are great people to turn into advocates, to help to recognize uh, among their peers for their efforts to tell other people and to just give them a helping hand when they need to. Yeah, yeah. And and something that I, I created when I was at one of my jobs is I would give people a cyber cupcake, which that's what I would call it. But it really just was, it was a JPEG. It was some sort of, you know, image file of a cupcake because, you know, we were all spread out. This was before the pandemic. So we, but we were still all spread out. So I couldn't physically give someone a cupcake. But if an, if an end user, you know, alerted us to something or reported, say, a, a phishing email that was really sophisticated, I would give them feedback. I would give them a cyber cupcake and say, you know, good, you know, good job. That was a really complicated phishing email that, you know, you could have easily fallen for. And I know it sounds silly and I know it sounds stupid. And I, I think that's also what a lot of people are fearful of, of maybe looking silly I am beyond that. I do not care. I will talk about cyber cupcakes and send them out. And I don't, I don't, don't take yourself that seriously. Yes. Okay. We, like we need more silliness <laughs> into our, in our lives. But people love it. Yeah. And, and I cannot tell you how many messages I would get in response. People saying, you made my day. This is the best thing ever. And 
you know, I know it's silly, but if you just give someone some recognition, then they feel empowered and they, you know, they make good decisions. And another place that I worked, somebody remembered their security training. They got an email saying that the SWIFT uh, wire number or SWIFT account number changed for this vendor. And right away, that was a red flag for this person and escalated it. And I remember like, I was thinking to myself, oh, I where can I buy a dozen cupcakes just to give to this? This woman, because she remembered her training and she, and we were approachable. This is, she, she reached out to me and said, I don't know about this. They're telling me that their swift, you know, number changed and that doesn't seem right. And let's look into it. Uh, So yeah, so approachability doesn't have to be a burden. It can be fun, but actually I want to turn something around real quick and ask you, you know, because we have a, a, you have a mostly non North American audience. I have been very wary of giving my empathy as a service talk outside of North America, because I'm concerned how it'll be accepted, say in Europe. I feel like Americans, we have the stereotype of being very optimistic and cheerful. And I feel like there's, there's people in other parts of the world that they're just kind of naturally cynical. And honestly, I'm a little scared <laughs> to give my talk in Europe because I don't want to have a whole room full of Europeans just rolling their eyes at me. So I'm just curious about that. Do what, from your perspective, do you think the empathy message can be embraced in Europe and, ma- and made fun of? Or is it just pretty much the same amount of friction we get in, the U- in North America? I think I would say that it's pretty much the same. I I say this because although, yes, there are definitely cultural differences there. And yes, we tend to be a lot more direct. I think that sometimes we may even seem blunt, especially because non-native speakers tend to choose their words differently than native speakers. So sometimes it does come out as blunt. But I think that there's a a crisis of connection that many people are experiencing, whether it is in their personal lives at work, around the meaning or direction that their life is going in, the meaning of their job, which again, cybersecurity creates a wonderful opportunity for you to do meaningful work that actually contributes to something that's palpable, which I think is absolutely fantastic. I think that it's one of the few jobs in tech that really does this. I think that the cybersecurity industry has something specific about it. Even here, even this community, which I've been in since 2015, and I know pretty well, is that they do care about a higher purpose. So there's a connection there to creating change. And empathy plays right into your ability to to create change in communities, in people, in individual behavior, but also at a higher scale. So I definitely hope and and hope to see your talk, you know, on a stage in Europe, on many stages in Europe, across Europe from east to west or the other way around, simply because that I know there are a lot of good people who are a lot more open, especially Gen Z. Gen Z are absolutely fantastic. I have incredible conversations with them. They blow my mind with their level of maturity and emotional intelligence and openness and and being non-judgmental. And I'm talking about people specifically in cybersecurity, although they're not developers in various roles, across roles, honestly. And I think that there's a huge opportunity here to change the conversation and, and finally kind of, let's say, dilute and hopefully put aside some of the stereotypes that have been perpetuating for much longer than there were necessary, if they even were. And yeah, I mean, what you really want to do is leave your users empowered, not scared, not shamed. Uh, You know, there's that expression of FUD, F-U-D, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. 
you don't want to leave your, your users shamed or angry or scared or embarrassed. You know, you want to leave them empowered. You leave them empowered by giving them information or you giving or giving them positive feedback about something that they did of, you know, like I said, hey, hey, good catch. That was a, that was a really tricky phishing email. You know, you did a good job spotting that and reporting it. That's worth a lot. You know, when you empower someone and encourage them, it doesn't cost anything. Maybe it's it's a two seconds out of your day. And, you know, anything you, you can do. Uh, another one is to meeting the person halfway with language. For example, uh, you saw my talk, so you know. I am a big advocate of using online translators and putting the message in English and also in that person's native language. But I will always start off my translation with, I am using an online translator. Mm, and it's so easy now. These things are so it, easy. It's so I know. that's It's so easy to do. And I don't know why people do it. And and my my rationale for putting both English and the other language in an email is because these online translators are not perfect. But I know that a lot of folks can read English. If English is not their first language, I know that a lot of people can read English better than they can speak it. So I put both there because if something doesn't make sense in the translation, then they could go to the English part and be like, oh, that's what they meant. Okay. Got that. So, you know, give, give people that, that power, make them empowered to do that. And that effort of translating to people or just learning one word in their language, I feel it makes such a huge difference and it already shows openness. It already shows kindness. It already shows I care about you as a human being and that changes everything. And I feel that we all need and deserve that in our lives. And all of the examples that you've shared today with me and for the listeners, they've been just absolutely amazing. And they've highlighted so many practical ways in which empathy makes a difference. And honestly, I don't know any context where empathy doesn't make a difference because it really does. It can be small. It doesn't have to be flashy. It doesn't have to be anything super sophisticated. It doesn't have to take time. And it always, always brings out good things in people, both in yourself and the person that you're doing it for, which to me, that's one of the few things in life that's always a win-win. <laughs> yeah. And I imagine, you know, where in your part of the world, you're probably seeing a lot of Ukrainian refugees. And so, you know, I do know that, you know, many, many Ukrainians are bilingual or trilingual or, or more, but, but yeah, I mean, if they're going to start to settle in and maybe work in Romania, yeah, they might need a little bit more empathy because of all the trauma they've been through, you know, for starters. But yeah, I mean, this this is a very upsetting and confusing time in their their lives. So if they go into your local, you know, mobile store in in Bucharest, have some patience <laughs> with them. Uh, yeah, my a long time ago, my husband uh, worked for, you know, we say cell phone here, cell phone, mobile carrier. And it was when Hurricane Katrina happened, when people were getting evacuated. And here, in, I'm in Philadelphia. Many were arriving in Philadelphia with just the clothes on their backs. And I just remember my husband would go above and beyond to try and help these people because they had nothing. A lot of people wound up going to him because they would go to other stores and they weren't as understanding or as empathetic. It's definitely possible. It's it's really possible to put empathy into anything that you do with technology. And all it does is benefit all of us in the end. 
again, I want people to understand this. They're just going to go around you if you're not, if you're going to be mean and if you're not going to help them, they are just going to cause you more work later. So why don't you be nice to them now? And you don't even have to like the person. Just be civil. That's true. (laughs) And it lowers stress. It lowers your pressure. Honestly, it relaxes your body, even if you're not doing it consciously. Again, yes, everyone benefits. Do you remember the phrase that I, I taught people in my talk? to say so there in the american south there is a phrase if someone does something wrong or or absurd ah. they'll just oh they'll say just bless your heart oh yes bless yes your heart. yes i love that i <laughs> <So> love that <laughs> i bless your heart is not something you would actually say to someone because it's saying something kind of mean but in a nice way and the reason why I told people to do this is just as an exercise for yourself, because I, I saw too many times coworkers just start to curse, curse to themselves about end users and get really upset. And it's not good for them. Like you said, it's stress. It's not good for their stress. And it doesn't help that you just keep calling users stupid. So, I mean, believe me, I'm not, I'm not perfect. There are definitely some times when I got really rattled or, or things, but I would just take a deep breath. And I just say, you know, bless their heart for trying. They are just doing their best. Exactly. I, I actually learned this from Brene Brown. She asked this in one of her books, and I really sat with this question. Do you think that people are trying their best? And honestly, I had a hard time. I think that I thought about this for a, a month and I kept observing people. And my, my initial instinct was that I don't think that everyone is trying their best. There certainly are some people who would could do a lot better. But then I realized that obviously each day is different. And yes, most people are trying their best. And that's the best that they can do at that time. We don't know their context. We know their don't know their life story. And you don't you don't know their training, especially if it like a work situation. Maybe they weren't trained very well. And and like the woman who kept reporting the email, that's what she thought she was supposed to do. So somewhere there was a breakdown in training, which I never saw. And and I didn't know her situation. So rather than call her dumb, try to get to the, the reason why. So again, I only I only mentioned the bless your bless your heart for trying. And somewhere in my office here, I actually have a sign. Just because to me, I feel like that's just, you know, you take a deep breath. Like I said, they're doing their best. Let's, you know, make this right and empower them and move on. I feel like that's a lot more healthier and productive than just using curse words and getting angry and upset. It's like, yeah, we're, we're just all doing our best right here. You know, we're doing what we can. Life is hard, you know, anymore, right? All kinds of things. It is, but we can make it better for one another. <laughs> yeah, empathy is important. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of humanity. And that's really what it boils down to. Anyone who still wants to fight us on, on empathy, like, are you really that in, you know, inhumane of a person? If you are, then you've got some bigger issues and maybe you should, you know, be, you know, get some, get some assistance with that. But it just comes down to being humane and just being a good, a good human. And it doesn't really take that much extra effort. And if you just think long term about the problems that you could nip in the bud by being, you know, empathetic today, you'll have, you know, a smoother tomorrow. So I just want people to to be mindful of that. That's a beautiful way to wrap this up. Thank you so much, Tracy. Thank you for showing empathy in practice through this episode, through everything that you do. I'm so grateful that we have people like you in the community to lead the way and to show others how we can actually be better humans, honestly. So thank you so, so much. <laughs> 
My pleasure and Vicent Latashara to my Magyar friends. And uh, <laughs> I, I definitely hope my, my dream is to one day uh, speak at a cybersecurity conference in Hungary. I think my, uh, I think my grandfather and great grandfather would be very pleased. Definitely. <laughs> You're looking down on me. <laughs> we will be ma- working on making that happen and, and bring it to Bucharest <laughs> as well. <laughs> wonderful. I would love that. I love that. All right. Thank you so much for having me. This has been wonderful. And yeah, please feel re- reach out uh, to me on Twitter. I'm InfoSec Sherpa and I'll share some of my other links and you can hear some of my talks and things like that. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. For show notes and links from this episode, head to cyberempathy.org, where you can also find resources to guide you to a healthier, more comfortable relationship with technology. And if you have a question for us, or if there's a topic you'd like us to discuss, we'd love to hear from you too.